Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and this time I'm joined by Hawaii men's basketball coach Aran Ganat. Everything about the 2019-20 season, Ganat's fifth as the head man in Manoa and the hundredth in Rainbow Warrior Hoops history, was unusual from the preseason right through its conclusion, or lack thereof, at the Big West tournament because of the coronavirus threat. And calling it unusual holds up, even taking into account the unique set of circumstances that saw Gannat take over a talented team in 2015 and lead the group to unprecedented heights, followed by a weird sophomore season overshadowed by NCAA sanctions. The Bows finished this regular season at 17-13, and 8-8 eight eight in the Big West, basically in the same spot they've been for the last four years. What does Gannat think it'll take to get back to contending for league championships? His completely revamped roster in 2020-21, there are seven signees plus an eighth scholarship player who had to sit out last year, gives him hope. Listen on to find out why. Right, I'm joined by Hawaii men's basketball head coach Aran Ganat, making his inaugural appearance on the Court Sense podcast. Coach Ganat, welcome to the the show, man. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hear you're doing some great things. I was wondering if I'd get an invite, so this is an honor. I'm, I'm doing things. I don't know if they, they qualify as great, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I having you on is definitely important. And I, I wanted to miss the, the head man of the. You know the, the "quote unquote" pro team of Hawaii in, in the sport of basketball. So uh, you do kind of enjoy a, a bit of a, a, a pedestal in that in that sense. You know, it's right now. There's a lot of things going on, and I wanted to kind of just go through some of these with you. But you know, I would be remiss if we didn't start with kind of current events and the th- some of the things that we've seen daily happening in our country. Um, what's been kind of your general take about? You know, a lot of the protests we've seen, uh, the unrest in, in these days since the, the killing of George Floyd. Well, I mean, I, you hear a lot about people talking about how tough a year 2020 has been, um, you know, with the, the COVID and the economic issues that have come out of the COVID. But and then uh, and then the racial tensions, which have come a little bit more to the forefront. But as we know, this is that one has been going on for some time. So, um it's something, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, we're talking about, hey, I'm the basketball coach, but there's a lot more to that and take great, great pride in being a, you know, a great husband and father and a leader to our young men. And like you said, the position and the platform this gives me to be influential in a positive way in the community, um, in this game, in the profession. So, um, it's just been a lot of things, obviously, that are really important and going at the same time. So. It's, uh, I'm following it. I've always been someone who's followed, you know, world events and watching the news. And obviously we're all watching it a lot more, reading a lot more because of the nature of what we're going through. But, you know, certainly, uh, hopeful for better times and, uh, again, trying to do our part from here to make things better. You actually marched with your family in the, the Black Lives Matter, uh, protests that I think thousands of people were involved in was it this past weekend yeah saturday i mean um i think they were expecting i read about 500 people we thought that like there were about five to ten thousand and i think that was the number of range they ended up saying that was there but 
Um, it was pretty impactful, as you can imagine. Um, obviously, you know, my family and, and having our daughter there and just to, to be part of something, to continue to, you know, we, we take pride in really being educated on it. Um, but obviously the need is there to continue to get educated. So, um, hearing stories and, and watching the group obviously was very well done and handled. Um, when you hear about some of these protests, how they're handled in other areas, um, you know, we're walking around and people are handing out waters and, and snacks and, it was a good three or four hours, and I'm sure it kept going in several days. Right now, you know, you can't interact with your your team, your guys, as you normally would in person. How has it been just kind of keeping, you know, open the lines of communication with, you know, Zoom or some of the other online tools at your disposal with um, this kind of – I know you're a guy who says unique situations from time to time. I think this probably qualifies as one of those – yeah, I mean, as much as any, we've all gone through it. I mean, this isn't unique to our program. Everybody's going through this and everybody's going through it together. So, um, we, we always try to tackle things head on and communicate is, and so it, it's, it's kind of like you're trying to do the same thing you're normally doing, but, uh, wrinkling it for the, what we're going through. So, um, we addressed it at first. Obviously, when we, we kind of found out March 12th, I believe it was when we're on the, um, lobby of the hotel, uh, Getting, having a pregame or game day breakfast ready to play that night. And just like that, the, at the time you're supposed to play, you land back in Hawaii. So um, the challenge we had for our team was to continue. It was number one, and it continues to be this, to be uh, number one, health and safety. Um, and then number two, to keep getting better without compromising number one. So um, more specifically, we talked about basically communicating at a high level, uh, finding different ways to do that. And then uh, being creative, because we're certainly have to find creative ways to get better uh, with all the limited parameters that were around us. So I really feel proud of our staff, our guys. Um, we check in constantly anyway. We have more formal talks through Zoom, like you alluded to, on kind of Monday mornings. And then you have guys from all over the world, you know, different states. But you know, we have four guys currently in Australia, um, one in Canada. Fortunately, Bernardo is from Brazil, is in the states, and Noel, who's from Belgium, is in the States. So that's, again, the creative way is kind of finding the time to do it with the resources we have, like we're talking on Zoom right now. Right. Um, that day that you referenced, you know, the, the day that would have been the quarterfinals, the, the first round of the Big West, when everything came to a crashing halt, That was that the last time you guys were kind of all together as a full team? Yes, that was the last time we basically could be together, to be honest. Uh, I guess from finding, from when we, uh, from that, that moment when we found out to then getting, you know, to the airport, landing in Honolulu, and then from there with all the rules, it just went right to communicating basically via Zoom or whatnot. And, you know, the more recent events that we were talking about with the unrest, um, you know, the police brutality and racism protesting. Um, have any of your guys really kind of, um, you know, vocalized how they feel about, about this in some of your, your group sessions or maybe in a one-on-one -on -one with you or one of your assistants? Uh, how impactful is this for them? It's, I know it's a very diverse group you have on your team. Yeah. No, again, we, we, we talk it through. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, our coaching staff, our guys, they're all pretty connected. So I think on various levels, we all communicated together individually. Um, but more formally, 
uh, we did it in our Zoom session. So the, the first uh, chance we had since that became more public, let's say, uh, we all got into the, in a room and uh, gave them the floor. Um, I, I think you know with us, and, and it's, it's something we empower. We've got great guys. We want to empower them. We want to hear from them. Um, they're different backgrounds sometimes. In this case, their views on what was going on. Um, because they're all feeling it in different ways. Their family backgrounds, they're in different states. Um, so it was nice to just sit, sit there and listen to them. Um, cause I think that's really important anyway, especially with all this. And it's something that's, that's, that's obviously going to continue to happen. Uh, that same day we did bring in Phil Handy, who normally was going to talk about some basketball stuff with the team. And, um, he shed some light on this uh, issue as well, which was great and engaged them. And so I, it was, you know, it's something that's, Kind of ongoing, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but it was great to hear kind of how they're doing with it and, and, and make sure they know we're here for them and we're listening. How about for you personally, Coach? You know, I think uh, your family is of uh, the Jewish heritage, right? And um, how is this whole just episode in American history that's unfolding kind of hit you personally? Well, it's unique. I mean, I think, you know, it's yeah, I remember talking about it when it became more prevalent, obviously. And then I put out a statement, mm-hmm. which isn't enough. We talked to our team, which isn't enough. Um, I talked a lot about, you know, everybody just looking inward, starting within, uh, then their family, their community. That's because the question becomes, what, what can we do about this? And so I think, uh, there's been a lot since then, you know, obviously being in the protests and just continue to educate on what we can do. Um, you know, everyone's background's different and obviously, you know, my, my background, I think I, I may have spoken with you before about having four Holocaust or grandparents that survived the Holocaust and, you know, the stories I heard when I was younger, um, Barbie's obviously from Native American ancestry. We, you know, Ziza very well. So there's different, um, backgrounds within my own family. So, um, the, the important thing was to talk about, you know, the racial tensions in general, but understanding the more, the, the issue at hand currently, which is, more specifically related to black lives. So, um, we, we talked it through as a family. We talked it through as a team, obviously. And, um, so, you know, I, I've heard the stories of, I, I said earlier in that week that I was largely devoid of having to go through some of the things that people aren't as fortunate to not have to go through. Um, but I, the feeling is not something anybody should have to go through. And so, you know, you're always connected to friends or family or colleagues or, or that that may have been more directly comp- impacted by something like this. But why we all have to step up here very clearly is because it's not just about those you know. Uh, this is a humanity situation. This is about those you don't know who are impacted. And when we're all in this fight together, that's where we can make real progress. And so that's the focus right now. Yeah, well said, well said. Um Coach, I'll, you know, we've talked about how the, the season 2019-20 came to a screeching halt for you. When you look back on that year in totality, I know it got off to a weird start for you personally, right? You had to take a, a medical leave for about 13 games. I think it was 13. Yeah. Uh, Chris Gerlison, you know, did a, a really nice job as the acting head coach in your stead until you could come back. Uh, there was some, you know, weird stuff in the preseason. guy like... Ahmed Ali couldn't even play for you because of a medical issue of his own. When you look back on this year and from start to finish, how do you kind of put that all together? I think it was crazy. Um, I think things were 
as you as you, as you thought our program um, from year one. Um, you know, the, the year one was crazy because of some of the uncertainty. Year two was crazy because we were dealing with the clarity. Um, but I would equate year this last year similar to year two and the fact that we didn't have a postseason opportunity really. I mean, in year two we didn't know till the day before. You know, kind of our last road game and then this year we're sitting there um feeling for the first time that this year healthy enough to make our our push so um but uh, the combination of things i mean i thought as we've gone through the years this was a group that um was going to be our deepest and before the season even started uh, when you lose ahmed ali when you lose junior madude uh, when owen holland gets hurt uh, our depth which we felt really good about took a hit real quick. Um, so we had to kind of wrinkle some things for the group we had. And I, was, I couldn't be prouder of them, our staff and our guys too. But we knew we were, we didn't have much margin for error, if that makes sense. And we were kind of playing with fire a little bit. And, you know, we were 14, I think 14 and six, five and one in league. And then Bernardo and Muta. Um, now maybe earlier we could uh, withstand something like that. But with the combination of the three we had, beforehand um, we kind of had to weather the storm a little bit till we got those guys back as you know Muta and Bernardo missed about four to five weeks each and then we had to work them back so as crazy as it sounds I think the years prior we had lost Jack um, in the last game of the year then we lost Leland the last game of the year and the year uh, before we lost Eddie in the in the last game of the year and so we and this year was a little different we were actually getting stronger uh, going into the conference tournament. So um, I, I think to a man, I know you've spoken with some of our guys, uh, they hung in through that stretch to make this final push. And just to not have that opportunity, uh, you think first to your seniors and then you think to that whole group because there's only one year they get to play together as a, as in that uh, edition, the 1920 team, the 100th anniversary team. Um, and, and it didn't happen. So as you know, sometimes things are outside your control. You learn from it, you grow from it, um, you move forward. Um, but I was very appreciative of how the group overall handled a lot of things that really were was outside of its control. Right, right. And you guys were the uh, number four seed, or you were in the 4-5 right. matchup. It was going to be against UC Davis, who you had beaten twice on two different last-second shots, uh, one by Eddie Stansbury and one by Samuta Avea. And right. two, just really two of the more thrilling games of the year. I know you guys had to come back from, I think, 17 points down against Northridge at home. Um, that would probably be the third, oh, those three, maybe the, the three that popped to my mind as far as the kind of some of the signature moments you guys had. Um, well, I think that's what, you know, all that adversity threw some guys in the fire. So we felt like not only were we getting healthier, but some guys were thrown into positions where they had to step up and did that. You know, by by then we felt like Justin Webster, Bernardo De Silva were pretty experienced freshmen that started games, um, and then Muta and like you said, Eddie had had made big plays. We had some obviously the steadiness of Zigmar's, uh, Drew Bugs' experience, um, and and the depth of and some other errors. So we felt like we were ready to make the push. It didn't happen. That's life sometimes. Well, I'm going to ask you about this crop of guys you got coming in seven signees. I think that's the largest haul you've had going from one season to the next, at least as far as straight signing scholarship guys. But first, I, I got to ask you about losing a guy like Drew because of how much he meant to 
to you and the program over the last few years? You know, how, how have you kind of, you know, come to grips with losing a guy like that going into his, his would, would have been fifth year, senior year? Yeah, you know, it's, it's never easy to, I think I'm, I'm kind of comparing it to like when you lose a senior. Um, I think every year our program is going to lose some good seniors. And, uh, so we'll have good guys coming in and, and young guys growing. Um, we appreciate the seniors just like we appreciate the guys who are leading in that aren't seniors. Um, we haven't really been hit by the transfer bug as, as much as others have. Uh, in terms of Drew is actually the first guy who's played over, I think, 16 minutes a game that we've, that's transferred. Um, you knew it was a possibility. Um, and, and I'll say, like we talked about earlier, we communicate, we talk things through. I have a lot of love for Drew. I have a lot of love for his family, um, for what he's been through and appreciate what he's done for us. And we talked it through and, you know, we're, we're here for him here and when he's gone. I think he, he's a graduate from here. I think he's going to come here often and visit. Um, we'll be rooting for him from afar. So, um, that being said, you know, he had, uh, it, the ball was in his hands quite a bit. And I think that's what I'll say to answer for him and for us is while we're, we're really excited about the group we have coming in and the group we have coming back, but we do know um, there will be a learning curve, particularly when you have, you say, seven new guys. But uh, Junior is all is the eighth, you could say, right. even though he's been – he came out semester. Um, so that's a lot of new guys. And, and, and when you bring up Drew, because certainly the most important position at the point guard. But I know we'll have better depth there, and it will be different. And, and Drew was a heck of a player for us when you're talking about an all-time assist leader. Yeah, and I know Justin Webster ended up being the guy to spell him at the point a lot for you this past year, even though Justin, I think, had a little bit more of a, a shooting and scoring inclination. This is kind of his natural game. But, uh, yeah, I'll just read off some of the guys you got coming in here. Uh, Beyond Ja Riley comes in as a true freshman, uh, high school kid. Uh, but Wally Bales from Australia. You got, uh, Javon McClanahan, a guy you picked up out of junior college here in the, the, uh, spring after the, the season ended. Uh, Manel Ayal. Also, I think, uh, from Australia, right? And, yeah. um, Noel Coleman. I think uh, he's, he's the Belgian. Um, Kasdan Jardine comes in from Utah Valley D1 transfer. James John Marie, uh, one of the two San Diego guys along with Noel Coleman. So two teammates over there in, at San Diego USD coming here. Um, and I don't know if his eligibility for this coming season has been decided yet. Maybe you can expound on that. But and as you said, Junior Madut, who sat out the, the spring semester after he was eligible for you guys this past year. So it's, it's quite a haul somewhere in that grab bag. Maybe you got your next kind of frontline playmaker um, or some combination thereof. So what kind of strikes you about this group as a whole? Well, I think as a whole, it's like you said, number one, it's a lot. Um, number two, I think it's a, an athletic group. I think it's a versatile group. I think it's an aggressive group. And I think the, the mix you see when you're talking about a couple of high school kids, a couple of D1 transfers and some JC kids. And it's nice to have a guy sometimes that is sitting out for you. So, you know, while it was, it was tough to not have junior this year, uh, the long-term benefits are great because now we have a guy who was in our program for us two more years. So. I think, um, I'll start with the point. You know, I think Noel's obviously experienced at Division One level. Uh, he was only a freshman at USD, but he had two double digit games against some good teams, including, uh, San Diego State, who was top five in the country most of the year. Um, and then Javon McClanahan gives us, you know, a guy who, who, who puts up some numbers at an efficient rate when you're going 26, 20 points, six boards, six assists. 
he's going to have a learning curve going from junior college to Division One, but he's very confident he can really shoot. We have uh, Bawali Bales, who at the under eight under twenties, I think in Australia, did something similar with twenty six six. So I think at the point guard position, we we have obviously a good blend. I think those guys are going to get after it. And I think the big thing that jumps out to me is practices are going to be very intense. Uh, we weren't as deep, and it hurt our practices last year, but these guys are going to be fighting um, for time, and they all can play. I'll say the big thing for me, too, is I just think we have a lot of good players. Uh, I'm really interested to in see who emerges, um, and I think you could see us playing uh, multiple point guards together like we really have done all five years except for last year because of the loss of Ahmed Ali. So I think that's tougher to guard. Um, like you said, Webster even played some point, but this frees him up to be more of that scoring two guard who can play some point. And I think we want, um, whereas everything was kind of in Drew's hand to make things happen, I think we'll play through multiple guys uh, this coming year. Um, Kasdan is a very experienced grad transfer. Our last two grad transfers were Sykes, Mondo, Allen. So I think we feel pretty strongly that's, that we'll be three for three here. We lose a really good shooter in Eddie. Um, I already talked about Javon. I think Noel and Bowali can continue to improve there, but Kazdan is the other established shooter that we're bringing in. A guy who shoots 40% for three as a stretch for making two threes a game and his experience, double digit score. That's really huge when you have some of the turnover we talked about. Manel is more of a versatile three, four type that again, you know how we can go back to more of our four out, uh, we're, where we didn't as much with Zigmar's, he was more traditional power forward. Um, and then, you know, the guy we talk about first, first recruit was Beyond Riley, who, you know, isn't really built like a freshman. He's going to be physically ready to go. You know, we're talking about a six, five and a half, six, six point forward who can bring up the ball when he rebounds and, um, who's really mature. Um, and, and James, who's actually established player, you know, started basically every game at, in the WCC school and University of San Diego, who has got some Mike Thomas to him. I mean, I hate comparing guys, but in terms of an inside out player who plays very physical, um, and he's, his range has really grown last three shot 40% from three. And we want him to continue to improve there and shoot more. It makes us harder to guard. I don't want to sell Bawali. Um, it's funny because you're asking about these recruits. We, I feel like I could talk forever. We got seven guys, but, uh, Bawali is, uh, going to be exciting as well. I could see even though Bawali and Javon will be new, they're going to be fighting and competing. And Bawali's going to, he's going to pick up full court. He's going to bring an attacking mentality offensively. I think he's got great uh, swagger and, and, and um, passion about him that people will really gravitate towards. So that's the short version when you give me eight guys to talk about. Well, I appreciate you uh, holding yourself I in tried. check there a little bit. Um, and to James, I think there was the question about, do you think he'll be able to play right away this year um, as a D1 transfer coming in from USD? Uh, I mean, the short version of that is uh, all our, you know, our understanding of the transfer uh, waiver process in these our, our specific cases that um, it, it bodes well for them. So okay. um, we're going through that, obviously, but the, if history and their research and the people we've talked to and, and, and combine their specific situations, uh, we feel strongly that they should be okay. But uh, we're going to continue to go through that process as we speak. Right. So, I mean, the coaches, a lot of guys among this group are kind of in that 
you know, six five to six seven, six eight, um, little swingman versatility uh, mode build. Um, so I, maybe there's kind of a, you know, this represents to me like my eyes, at least what I'm seeing here so far. You know, without seeing these guys in person, you know, a little bit maybe of a stylistic shift um, for what you guys have been the last year or two. Especially this last year, you had the three seven footers, uh, two of whom um, uh, Owen Holland who turned pro. And Dawson, Dawson, thank you. Uh, Mate Cholina obviously is still around, but not having Dawson as maybe your at least part-time starting big man, how might this stylistic shift, if you think there is one, manifest itself on the court? Well, I just think again we can play different styles. I think look, last our the offense has had evolved every year, wrinkling for our strengths. I think we were uh, number one in our league in eighteen nineteen. Then with the issues we had. And guys out of the lineup, we shifted, went from basically top of our league to bottom of our league. We didn't like it. It's not fun to watch. Uh, we, we certainly like playing more up tempo, which you can do with more depth, being more attack mode, which you can do now with multiple guys being able to attack. And there is no spacing without shooting. So while we lose Eddie, we feel like we added established shooters in Kasdan and Javon, uh, Manel and James are kind of next year guys that have shown they're improving there considerably. Junior has a chance to do that as well. But Wally and Noel, uh, so there's a lot more uh, potential with this group. But like you said, um, our ability to move guys in and, in and around. Um, but then you have to talk about the guys you have coming back. Bernardo has put on, even though his base was really low, he's put on about 20 pounds, uh, up to 215. So, and, and we don't start now, obviously, for another five months or so. So, and Mate's ability to run the floor, I think this will help him more because his Strength is running the floor, and when you have a guy who can run and guys who can shoot, get into the corners and attack, uh, attacking guards, he might find himself in a great place to get some drop offs. Uh, he can also, as you saw, at times step out and shoot the three. So, I think, um, like you said, I think there's certainly the potential and the objective to shift into a style that we kind of had had been going into until last year, um, provided we continually stay healthy, obviously. How might that stack up in, in the Big West as far as what the, you know, stylistic types of opponents you guys have seen, whether it's Irvine, who tends to be a little bigger, Northridge, which tends to push the ball a little more. Um, you know, Davis is always crafty and Jim Les gets the most out of his guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, um, the Big West race, as you might project it out right now, I mean, how do you think this group could stack up? Well, I feel like we feel strongly. Our objective is the same. Our goal is the same, is to get back uh, and to compete for league championships. So um, I do think there's some exciting teams coming back in our league at a unique time for our league. We're adding two teams, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, Irvine has been very consistent. Uh, Riverside has made, a, uh, has made a push the last couple of years and returns quite a bit. Santa Barbara returns quite a bit. And our league's always very, very unique because we're, we always have some guys who have been sitting out. I think our, the coaches in our league I have great respect for guys develop in our league that were younger guys, or maybe there's a transfer sitting out. Um, uh, but, and, and a lot of things have changed in the spring, uh, recruiting with, with even schools in our league have picked up uh, key transfers. So we're all going through that process at the same time. Um, but it's exciting and, and I don't know. You know, we follow it from afar, the other groups, but I know I'm excited about our group. Um, I just wish we could get our hands on it and start getting to work. But um, I also think this is a really good challenge for our guys. It really tests who really works, finds a way, like I said, without compromising their health and safety. But I think this group is uh, going to be really 
pretty elite in terms of their love for the game and their love to get get to work. Well, as you mentioned, there's two incoming new teams of the Big West being UC San Diego and Cal State Bakersfield, one of which sent, uh, UCSD is a transitional D1 member. So it's going to be a 20-game conference schedule, and I think my colleague Fred Lewis reported the other day that the games against UCSD won't count on the, the regular season conference standings, even though you are playing them in a traditional home-and-home, and and they won't participate in the conference tournament, is my understanding. So, But having that 20-game schedule, um, how do you feel about that for Big West, you know, strictly the the round-robin part of the schedule, and um, does that make your job easier or harder to construct the the total uh, schedule as you see it? Uh, it's, it's, um, you know, there's a growing trend, uh, nationally as leagues are going to 20 games. And, um, I don't know yet. You know, I, 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 I think you have to go through it and see how it feels. Um, I haven't, you know, this is my 18th year. I don't think we, I think we may have gone as many as 18 at one point when I was in the WCC, but, uh, 20 is significant. Uh, you know, it, it, we have another trip. Obviously we'll be making to some unique spots, uh, that we hadn't. So, but I do know this, it, it, once the decision's been made, we're all in. So I guess I should chip my answer, and I will. So I'm fired up about it. I'm excited <laughs> about the 20 games. And, um, I do know it, it hurts our opportunity to be flexible in the non-conference. It, it makes it easier to schedule overall because we basically, just like that, our non-conference games went down four in terms of how many we need to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, the turnaround between the Diamond Hit Classic and League Play is going to be very quick. Um, because you're, you're putting 20 games in a, in a, I don't think there are any buys. So they're going to be challenges, um, with, with putting 20 in a short time frame with zero buys and, you know, new trips, but it is what it is. So I just, you know, sometimes you wish you had more flexibility. I think over the last couple of years, our non-conference schedule has improved. We played the two ESPN tournaments. Last year, we played two 25 teams on the road. I feel good about, uh, where this one's headed. But so I guess at one end, you're not looking for as many games, but your flexibility to get uh, certain teams uh, nationally, and especially as you try to get more teams, you know, we try to get teams on the way to Maui, but it's just the window is, is in terms of availability and dates is really close. And you guys have had announced North Carolina coming in on their way to Maui this coming year. Uh, is that still, you know, intact with everything that's gone on, uh, coronavirus wise? And how much tougher, if at all, has, you know, the, the coronavirus era, if you will, made scheduling right now? Well, I, you know, I want to be respectful here. It's made everything more difficult for everybody in every profession. So um, the the challenges of the unknown, the challenges of certain teams and, and traveling and um, financial uh, individualist situations at each institution. Um, so. It's interesting. I, I know we've done a really good job. I think we're just waiting on a contract maybe uh, in terms of getting ahead of it. So like this year, you know, as you know, you we, we, you get recruit late because of the transfer market. You can try to schedule a little late because maybe you can get a team that's high profile who's might be desperate. But um, we our goal was to get both our recruiting class and our scheduling done basically in June. And I think, you know, obviously our recruiting is complete. Um, for, for this class, obviously this gives mm-hmm. us a head start for the following year, but, and our scheduling is basically ver- verbally complete. We're just waiting maybe on a contract. So, but I do know talking to, I, I've spent a lot of time in our staff talking to other coaches, just seeing how they're going and everything. Um, it's always good to talk to your friends and, 
because maybe you can get some ideas how you're handling this um, COVID, among other things. But um, one thing has been that, you know, there, there have been concerns about scheduling for sure. Now, how do you feel about um, whether there will be like a, you know, a traditional quote unquote college basketball season as, as we know it, you know, this fall with, you know, there's all, all this talk right now of, you know, second wave of the virus and maybe slight upticks here in Hawaii and all, and cases going up on the mainland still in a lot of the states that, you know, some of them opened up, some of them less so, but cases are just, you know, not going away. So how do you feel right now where we're talking in, you know, mid-June basically, and traditionally the college basketball season starts in like the first week of November or second week? Well, I think we're all full speed ahead as a staff and as a team to prepare like it's going to be normal. I mean, it's interesting because we obviously our spring was affected, um, but we we would be a little bit more skill oriented and recharging the batteries uh, emphasis in the spring. Uh, we normally bring them back then July 5th or 6th, first week of July for summer school. So we haven't really felt that effect until that starts. So we always have, as you know, several plans in place. Um, but we're operating like with the initial plan of we're going to be back to normal. Now, even if, let's say, our summer is impacted, um, we still have a chance to, to have our fall at a normal time. We have a chance to start our first game, which I believe is this year is November 10th or so at the same time. And I think um, we're, we're, we're jumping on any kind of positive momentum uh, we see out there. So if we see pro teams and now we see the NBA and you hear today or yesterday about you know, football getting close to NCAA proven workouts and then um, having their six-week program. All that's we're fired up to hear. So um, if that that's news, that means we're more likely, if that makes sense. But every sport for everybody is going to deal with a potential spike and having to be prepared for that potential spike. All right. Well, I want to ask you a couple questions before you go, kind of more about – Aranganat, the the guy, you know, just you grew up in New Jersey. Uh, Tenafly, I think, was your your hometown, and yep. made your way to Swarthmore College, Division three for college basketball. I want to ask you real quick about that because you have a twin brother, uh, Asaf Ganat, and I believe you guys encountered each other on opposite teams during your college basketball days. Am, am I right about that? Yeah, obviously we're twins. We play together. Uh, and then all of a sudden we go to different colleges and they have me in the same league and we play each other twice a year. And, um, he went to at that time, uh, Fred Kumar, his coach, I think just retired and has about 950 wins. They were, they were a powerhouse and I believe still are in the mix. My school at the time wasn't as, was academically, uh, better. And we'll talk trash about that, but they, we were just growing as a basketball program. And the, the, the thing I'm talking a lot of trash about now with him is that. Swarthmore was actually the number one Division three team in the country this past year. Really? It may not have been when I was there, but I'm, we're taking credit for it. So You laid the groundwork. Uh, yeah. No, they lost in the championship the year prior. But, yeah, we played each other. It was very unique. Uh, I can't – you know, I remember – I think we talked about it when Quincy and his brother played against yeah. each other yeah. um, when they were in the same league. But that was like a year. We had to do it every year. Uh, for four years, twice a year, and you have your parents. I'm kind of rooting for both teams. It's bizarre, but I, I, I really appreciate my time at Swarthmore, the school. Uh, the head coach, Coach Wimbley, is somebody I talk to all the time, big influence for me. So um, it, it's, it was a very difficult job back then. 
was basketball kind of always the thing for you and your brother growing up? I mean, um, did you guys kind of grow your love of the game through each other in that sense, like in the, in the driveway or, um, and how young were you guys when you kind of really first got into it? Uh, we were competitive. We played sports. We played everything. And, uh, I know my parents, you know, kids are tough and twins are tougher and, um, and a lot of, a lot of fights and, you know, our, our, it was pretty simple. Like we, if we got our, we couldn't play sports unless we got our schoolwork done. So it was almost like as soon as school was over, it was a race to get our schoolwork done so we could play. Um, and then we played everything. I mean, everything you could think of. And, and then when we got to high school, like most people, we, we focused more on basketball and, um, just the love for the game, all, all aspects of it. Um, and something obviously I've tried to make a career of. And, and, and prof- now professionally in your adult life, you guys are doing maybe two of the, the most diametrically opposed things you could probably do, right? I mean, you're a, a division one college basketball head coach and, and he's a, a name, a well-known guy in the, in the fashion industry, right? Yeah. No. And I think the, the, the big thing about it is the passion is the same for what we're currently doing. It might, we might not be in the same field. But the competitiveness, the, the passion, the attention to detail, the building process. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. He's, he's got the high end fashion and all these. And I think we talked about it in the past. And, you know, I'm wearing Aloha shirts and, and which I love and very fortunate too. And I'm wearing my Under Armour gear. So, um, but again, we, we, the, the, the love for sports is, is never going to go away, even though he's picked a different field. So coach, if, you know, anyone has crossed your path, uh, in the community, in basketball circles. I think, you know, your general vibe, you come off usually a lot older than you actually are. You're like in your late thirties, believe it or not, people. Coach Gannat is not yet 40 years old, but probably no one would guess that just based on your demeanor. So was that always the case? And, you know, how did that kind of inform your decision to get into coaching to begin with? You know, I don't know. I think, you know, you're, you're, you are who you are. That's why I think everybody, what I love about people in general is they're authentic. Um, I like people who are real. That means you're true to who you are. And I think when you're growing up, it, it, that has an impact. Your family, your parents, your siblings, uh, the people you're around as you go through the, you know, from high school to college and people you learn and grow from. But at the end of the day, um, it's your personality. Like, uh, I know what you're saying. People call me an all soul. Like, um, people, I think, I forget who it was that said, you know, you're actually a millennial, but you don't act like a millennial. So, um, I, I don't even know what that to some extent means. I know, um, there's some qualities that I probably from my mom and my dad, my dad was a grinder worker. Um, it was, uh, work and family and he adjusted his work schedule. He had to travel so much around, you know, basically our, our the family events. So. I, I, I was very fortunate to grow up in that household and you know, I have an older sister, a younger sister, and I think I'm blessed to have some great siblings. And then I've been blessed just to be around the people I've been around. So, uh, but we, like when you have a twin, I mean, my brother will tell you that, you know, I was, if I, if we had a schedule and, and, and even though I'm younger, but he always talks about the youth being younger, but I'm nine minutes younger, but if he, if I was, you know, hey, we got to be on time for, let's say, a practice or get our work done or our homework, whatever. He was relaxing, and he'd always joke now that I would just wait till you would tell me. So maybe in some sense I was, you know, looking out for us in, in that regard, and that just kind of 
um, continued as I grew up and leadership was something that I thought was important to me. I, I enjoyed being organized and on top of things. Like I said, I couldn't, I really wanted to play sports. My parents wouldn't let me unless I got the schoolwork done. So I, I really, and the grades needed to be good. So that really became time management was important for me. And so I could do what I love. And, um, and then as I went through, you just learn more. Coach Wallace had a great line. I may have said to you before was, you know, basically as you go through the process, one day you lead your own program. Uh, you take from everybody and then you put yourself into it. Some people just take from everybody and then they forget who they are. I think at the end of the day, uh, you learn and grow, but you gotta, you, you have your personality. And I love the personalities of the people I'm around. It's unique to them. Well, you had to put in the time. I think you mentioned 18 years of total coaching experience in college, almost immediately from the time you finished playing at Swarthmore, right? You know, you kind of jumped in as a, like a volunteer. You, you had to go through at least a couple of those volunteer type positions and years doing that. I think at St. Mary's uh, before you, you went out here to Hawaii for the first time as the D ops director of operations. And it may be even a, you had a position before that here at Hawaii. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you certainly had to put in a lot of time and unglorified years before you got to where you were. So how, how much has that really kind of stayed with you? even as in the position you find yourself in now where you're the guy calling the shots? I think everything is, is important. I, I, I think it's the best way to learn uh, from the ground up and uh, being around different uh, schools of thought and being around different people, great people I've seen different ways. Um, I basically, you know, you work your way up in high school and then you become a freshman again. You work your way up in college, you're, you're a captain, and then you basically become a freshman again. And, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to coach really early on. I wanted to be around the game. Um, and, and I wanted to start in Division One when I got out of because I had been around Division Three. I wanted to learn something new, um, not knowing if I would get the opportunity. You know, a lot of guys with my background, it's very difficult. So I do remember right after college basically sending an email or and a letter to all every single Division One coach. And I was blown away by at least people emailing me back. Uh, some people called. I do remember – Phil Martelli, who was, you know, I was at Swarthmore with near all the Philly schools and he, he, he called and, and had me come to his office. And I'll never forget that. That was the year they ended up going to that next year. They went to the final or elite eight with Jameer Nelson, Delonte West. And mm. So I was around some great schools. And so it really started about reaching people, reaching out to people. Uh, Lawrence Frank, who was the third assistant with the Nets at the time was like one town over. And I just, I mean, I just. I had nothing to lose. So I was calling people. I was emailing them. I don't think I had a cell phone then, but, um, and Lawrence Frank did the same. He invited me uh, to his office and we talked to give me advice. It was really just nothing threatening other than just what would you give it? What advice would you give someone like me who wants to get a foot in the door? And, 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 and it's funny because years later, those relationships have remained uh, staying in touch and, but they all were like basically work camps. So I, I, I before I even got to St. Mary's, I worked. Um, St. Joe's, Villanova, this is all driving. Went to, uh, drove to Kentucky, worked NC State camp, worked Virginia camp. So it was end of summer, worked the camps. And then I ended up going, taking a job for a camp I didn't work, uh, because my college coach had a mutual friend. And I still have the letter or the email I got, which says, uh, my friend, a young up and coming head coach named Randy Bennett, uh, might have something. Um, and he ended up, we ended up talking over the phone. It was August. He hired me over the phone my first day at st mary's uh, was my birthday i just turned 22 
and I was a volunteer. You know, people forget at that time, I think St. Mary's was, you know, Bennett took over a two-win program and now they've had 11 or 12 straight 25-win seasons. But it was, it was, I was awesome because I don't know if anybody runs a program or builds it from the ground up as well as Coach Bennett. And, you know, I came in there. The third assistant might have been part-time at the time. Uh, ops position was volunteer. And Kyle Smith was over, you know, sitting in one desk. Uh, he's now the head coach of Washington State. Lamont Smith became the head coach of San Diego. Randy's obviously still there. Um, Todd Golden was a walk-on freshman on our team, who's now the head coach of San Francisco. I left to Hawaii in 06, and David Patrick came after me to St. Mary's. He's now at Riverside. I worked with Rick Croy at, at St. Mary's in my second stint. He's now at Cal Baptist. And there's so many other guys that are different fields, or uh, I can keep going, Adam Capehorn, Marty Clark. So it's incredible from how this profession is, from where I started uh, to go from that. Obviously, I ended up spending three years there in an operations role when that position was a volunteer position all three years. Yeah, so you've done two kind of full tours of duty at St. Mary's and Hawaii each. Really the two places that you've spent your entire professional career to this point do you does it uh strike you i guess how rare that is in your profession that you know you get to be home quote unquote at two different places and and that's it at least you know like i said to this point and you're obviously still a relatively young guy so um that just doesn't happen i don't think in the coaching ranks very often no and it's harder now um so it strikes me as rare, but I also know it's rare, and I'm very appreciative of it. I know how hard it is to be in the position I am now, and I don't take it lightly. Um, I, I learned a lot of that from, again, my family being loyal to uh, their their position. We grew up in New Jersey. We didn't move much. You know, I was at one high school. I was at one college. You know, Randy Bennett next year is in his 20th year. Um, I came in 06 and worked for Wallace, who did 20 years. Uh, then Bob Nash, who was here for over 20 years, you know, and so – um, I feel very blessed um, because I know not everybody, even though I had a tough road to get here, but I also had the best road to get here because I was around the best of the best of people and I learned a ton um, and continue to learn a ton. So I don't think I, I remember making decisions. I tell people you make your decisions about never about money. Uh, hopefully that'll come later. Uh, you make them about uh, being around good people, number one and two, where you can get better. And so in that regard, I feel Unbelievably As we talked about last year was a crazy year all around from the way it started to the way it ended or didn't end. You know, you guys were kind of left in limbo like the majority of the college basketball world. But you did celebrate the 100 year season of the program in a number of ways throughout the season, different themes and different games. Probably the one that comes to mind is Eddie Stansbury hitting that game-winning three in the final seconds against Davis from the corner in a, a you know set play that you guys ran to perfection. And also Bob Nash getting his jersey retired at halftime against UC Irvine. Can you guys, uh, I guess what my question is, what's next? You know, after you kind of pulled out all the stops this last time around for from a guy like you who really does back up what he says about honoring the past of the program. You know, it's great because we always do, basically, whenever we add something, uh, this is about program building, not just uh, on the floor, but in every aspect. And I think you've seen that over five years in terms of what we've added uh, in terms of facilities, resources. We're just fighting and, and stabilizing at the same time. But 
I love hearing you, you talk about Eddie. I mean, you couldn't have been better scripted for a hundredth anniversary game to have that kind of finish. But there is there there are, there's potential for a lot of things. It's limitless. It, it's if anything, it, people have to slow me down in terms of the ideas because of how much love I have for this program and trying to continue to grow this program. I, I'll say this: um, those were great feelings and great moments. That's what you live for. I can't. I don't know if I can describe a better moment than when we um went to the you know we won the league title and then uh, maybe when we obviously when we beat Cal and had our first NCAA tournament win and just gonna being able to enjoy the last 30 seconds because the game was in doubt at that point and you can hear the Hawaii fans I think the next uh, process which is as enjoyable but maybe not as obvious is the stabilization um, when you say what's next I don't think there'll be a greater feeling than getting our group back to that point again um, to, to be, to, to know what it feels like and then to get us back there with what we've had to go through. That's what's next. There's going to be some great events we'll do in the stand again. There's, we're going to continue the trend of uh, hopefully retiring our next uniform and honoring more teams and shoot that 16 team is before you know it'll be their 10th anniversary. It goes quick. But I, I do know the, the floodgates have opened in terms of the reach, the outreach to former players and coaches. And so it's great to see those guys flow in and out. And then we'll see what's next in terms of, you know, you, you get Jim too. And then we go, what's next? We fix the conference room. What's next? We, you know, we do stuff in the, in the hallways, in the locker room. What's next? I do know the biggies have been done because those are huge projects. So what's next is we got to do our part to get a special moment again for the people here in Hawaii. And- now, before I let you go, a uh, little side project that myself and Dave Rudin cooked up. Uh, it was designed to run simultaneously with the NCAA tournament that didn't actually happen. So it was like kind of one thing that maybe gave some people at least a little distraction to do with no sports going on. It was at Hawaii Warrior World, um, the UH off, offshoot of the Star Advertiser. We did a UH men's basketball best team of all time bracket. Uh, with uh, 16 teams kind of plucked from the di- different, you know, generations of, of UH hoops, Rainbow Warrior basketball, going from uh, we had a team in the in the 1940s, I think, 1948 team that won a bunch of games through the Fab Five era, you know, Tom Henderson right after that, um, some great NIT teams in 1990 and um, NIT, uh, NCAA in 94, Dynamic Duo to Sabo in English and all the way up to you guys in that 2016 year and you guys that 2016 team that won 28 games a program record and won as you said the first NCAA tournament game against Cal was eventually voted the best team of all time by uh, by the fans and probably by some of the members of that 16 team were active in the voting themselves uh, being as you know up on social media as they are so how'd you feel about getting the nod from uh, from I guess the, the masses about about that one well, that's great. I, I you, you know, we're, we were kind of in the heart of some recruiting, but I was, I was following it as much as I could. And obviously, when you're, I've coached. Remember, I kind of have a connection with all these guys. Obviously, get to know them uh, during this hundredth and over the years. But I've worked with uh, Wall for Wallace and Nash. I've worked with Alika. I've uh, coached a couple different groups. One of my best friends is Mark Campbell from the O2 team. Um, so I've always said we have. Arguably, the the 16 team is arguably the greatest team, and I say that respectfully because I think 
you could make an argument for the teams that I think ended up making the Final Four. I think one of the more underrated teams um, was the AC Alika years because they don't maybe get talked about uh, because they didn't get to the NCAA tournament, but they're right on the cusp and a team that could have done some damage potentially in the NCAA tournament. So um, I'll say this about our group. I think you could make the argument without question. I think the easiest argument might be they might be the most accomplished group because you're talking about most wins and say tournament they swept the and and swept the championships basically. But here's what I'll say about them because I coach them. I can only say speak to them. Uh, never lost two in a row. Was first place in league from day one to the last day. Uh, went through league uh, tournament obviously. Uh, beat Cal in the first round and people forget you know up until a bad stretch in the in the second half against Maryland we're right there in that game too. It was a battle-tested group. Uh, it was a team that beat Auburn. Obviously, it was a team that, you know, had an 11-point lead. I remember at, at, at Texas Tech, who went to the NCAA tournament. And I know you remember we played a Northern Iowa team uh, that had two top five wins prior to us playing them, and we beat them. So um, at a time when our the Big West was at its peak, at least over the recent years, because uh, we had four top 100 teams. So. Um, it was a excellent defensive team, excellent rebounding team, had inside out, uh, great talent. I didn't think there were that many flaws. I remember someone asking me after the game when we won the uh, tournament title, I said, why would someone pick you in the bracket? And I said, because we defend, rebound, and we do it pretty consistently. We rarely lost the board. So I think when you have the combination, of, and it was a battle-tested group, obviously. So I, I was very proud of that group. I'm very proud of them now. Um, I know there's a lot of trash talking between errors, eras, um, but I could see overall each of those top four or five groups making an argument. But um, I think certainly the number one, uh, the 16 team, has a fair claim to that title. All right. Well, I guess stay tuned if there's ever a, a sequel to that bracket, maybe a few years down the road, if you got some some more teams, maybe eventually that can you know reckon with some of those classics, if you will. So. Hey, Aranganat, head coach of the Hawaii men's basketball program. Thanks so much for coming on the Court Sense Pod. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon. <laughs>